today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. They believed that salvation comes through this acquisition of knowledge. And the more knowledge that you had, the stronger your salvation. But that's exactly opposite of what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that our salvation comes by grace through faith. There's nothing wrong with knowledge, but it's not knowledge that saves you. It's the grace of God through faith. And even the Pharisees, with their abundance of knowledge and studying of the Scripture continually, guess what? Jesus told them, remember, in John chapter 3, what did John tell Nicodemus had to happen? He had to be born again. The early church faced quite a bit of heresy coming into the church that began to muddle beliefs and contradict the truth of the gospel. The Apostle John wrote three letters to respond to the growing influx of false doctrines. Today, Pastor David explains some of the various heresies the church was beginning to believe and how even today, they threatened to weaken the church. For example, Gnostics taught believers that salvation came through knowledge which contradicted the truth of the gospel of salvation by grace through faith. Now here's Pastor David as he begins his message, Intro to the John Epistles. Again tonight, uh, it's actually uh, a study in three small books near the back of your New Testament, the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It was written, most scholars believe that they, all three of them were written not too far apart from each other in the late 60 ADs on up to about the 90 ADs. Most of them say that they believe that they were written before the fall of the temple. The temple happened in 72 AD. And so the time isn't really so important. The thing I want you to understand, though, is even at that point in time and frame within the church, the church was just going through a lot of stuff. You know what I mean, just stuff. Uh, We go through a lot of stuff. We prayed about a lot of stuff. And the church was going through a lot then, too. And one of the big things that they were going through then is in the early stages, there would be individuals that would come into these various and assorted churches saying that they were spokesmen for the Lord, that they were teachers uh, for the Lord. There was bringing a lot of bad doctrine, a lot of heresy within the church. And the apostles were continually fighting against all of that heresy. These three books, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the early church understood, then 200 AD and on from there, the early church fathers uh, commented that these three books were written by the Apostle John. He doesn't really say, he doesn't introduce himself 
like uh, Paul does in his books. He just begins, it's particularly in the first book, First John, he just begins right on with the message that he wants to bring. We look at First, Second, and Third John. We realize that if it is John the apostle, the son of Zebedee, he's also the one who wrote the fourth gospel account. He's also the one who wrote the book of Revelation. But these three letters are different than the gospel account, different than the revelation. And as a matter of fact, the first of these three is even different than the other two. The first one seems to be a pretty well straightforward uh, warning, uh, writing, directing at some pretty well common sense situations, really for every believer, both a new believer as well as those that are seasoned in the faith. And he touches uh, a little bit on all of them. And the issues that John is dealing with in this first century church are actually still issues that we deal with today in modern times. When we read through that, it reads like a listing of theological statements or, or declarations and arguments then for them why these things are so. It's not limited to the first century. Many of those things, though they rose up in the first century, we see them go as in waves all through the history of the church. And like I said, even today, some of those things that John directly deals with and that we see in some ways and forms today are teachings such as what's known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism, uh, that's G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M, Gnosticism. Well, Gnosticism comes from the Greek word Gnosticos, and it simply means having knowledge. And there was a group of people that were called the Gnostics, and two of the main issues of Gnosticism that really attacked the very basics of Christianity. The first one was that the Gnostics believed in what's called dualism. And the idea of dualism is in reference to spirit and matter. Anything that deals with matter, the Gnostics believed was evil. You know, so the flesh was evil. Anything of matter is evil. But the spirit, on the other hand, is good. And so they felt that, again, for you and I as individuals, within us we have the spirit, but we also had matter, our physical bodies. Because of that separation that they felt that they was the real deal, they felt that anything done in the body didn't really matter since real life itself existed in the spirit. And in essence, the belief came down to being able to do anything in the flesh and their belief was that it had nothing to do and didn't affect the spirit at all. They were totally separated. Now you start teaching that in the church, what happens? Well, people start living like the devil all week and then they come in in church and you know, try and get real spiritual. And well, that was a real press. And you know what? That still happens today within the church. The second primary area that uh, they had a problem with, they were leading the church, was their claim as Gnostic that they possessed a, an elevated knowledge. They had this higher truth that only a few were able to obtain. And that's why the name, the Gnostics, the ones with the knowledge. And the problem was that this higher truth 
wasn't obtained by studying the word of God. No, it was just, it just came upon them through some mystical realm. They didn't even claim that it was the Holy Spirit of God. It's just that, you know, I'm one that has the greater knowledge too bad about you. You know, I have that knowledge, but you don't. Or maybe you do, but you, the rest of you don't. And this whole thing, Gnostics saw themselves as a privileged class. They were elevated above everyone else by their higher, their deeper knowledge of things, things of the divine. So the compatibility of Gnosticism and Christianity is really non-existent. You cannot have Gnosticism and Christianity working within the same realm because, again, they are so opposing. They believed that salvation comes through this acquisition of knowledge, and the more knowledge that you had, the stronger your salvation. But that's exactly opposite of what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that our salvation comes by grace through faith. There's nothing wrong with knowledge, but it's not knowledge that saves you. It's the grace of God through faith. And even the Pharisees, with their abundance of knowledge and studying of the scripture continually, guess what? Jesus told them, remember in John chapter three, what did John tell Nicodemus had to happen? He had to be born again. Oh, Nicodemus, you're almost there. If you could just gain a little bit more knowledge, you'd be saved. No, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, there's no way in the world. There's no way in heaven you're gonna be able to see heaven. Jesus told the Pharisees in John chapter five, he says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are the ones that testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me in order that you may have life. In other words, just increased knowledge does nothing if you do nothing with the knowledge you gain. Increased knowledge does nothing if you do nothing with the knowledge that you've gained. You need to act upon that knowledge. You come to a knowledge of the truth, hey, I know what the gospel means. I know what it means to be saved or how to be saved. Well, if you don't move on it, just knowledge will do you no good. Well, along with this influx of Gnosticism, there was also another teaching called Docetism, D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M. And that's the belief that Jesus didn't have real flesh and blood body. It appeared as though he did, seemed on the outside that he did, but it wasn't real flesh and blood. But the problem that you run into with that, again, it is a denial of some of the very core beliefs of Christianity. If Jesus didn't have a real flesh and blood body, then how could he be tempted in the same way as you and I are? And as Hebrews says, man, we have this great high priest that was tempted in the same ways. He knows who we are, and yet he was without sin. How could he have really and truly suffered at the hands of the Romans in the same way that Isaiah had prophesied that he would in Isaiah chapter 53, when Isaiah, he was beaten, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. If he didn't have a real flesh and blood, you can't hurt that if it's just the spirit. 
the results of the crucifixion and even his death would have been absolutely worthless if he was just spirit and just appeared to be in human body. Romans 5.10 tells us, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Because he had a physical body, a physical presence in reality, flesh and blood, he experienced a real death, a real and true death, and he experienced a real and true resurrection from the dead. Colossians chapter one, verse 21 tells us, and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. He had to have a flesh and blood body in order for all that to take place. If he had no real body, he couldn't have been truly resurrected. And without the resurrection, guys, Paul tells us in Romans chapter one that he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. Romans 6, verses four and five tells us, therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And if there's no flesh and blood body, that meant that there was no real death. That meant that there could not be a resurrection. And so suddenly every teaching that we have on the resurrection becomes absolutely worthless, of no account at all. So there had to be a physical body. So docetism has no coherence at all with the truth of Christianity. One other heresy that seems to be a point that John comes against in the teachings actually comes from a man by the name of Serenthus. Now, Serenthus himself, a lot of problems with his teachings, but two of them that stand out most directly and two of them that actually appear as the two that John combats or comes against in this letter. We don't have any of the original writings of Serenthus available, but the early writings of the early church father, Arrhenus, he spoke about these teachings and it kind of brings us the idea of what he dealt with. Arrhenus says, first of all, Serenthus held to a form of Gnosticism that felt that, catch this, God was so holy, he could have absolutely no direct dealings with human. He taught that Jesus was born only as a human, the son of both Joseph and Mary. In other words, there was no divinity at his birth. There was no divine conception on that. The divinity of Christ or the divine Christ descended upon the man, Jesus, at his baptism, according to Serenthus, and then on the cross, before the sin of man was placed upon Jesus, the Spirit left him. And thus the saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see where his brain is going with that. But again, it does away with the divinity of Christ. Suddenly it's only the the Christ consciousness or the spirit of the Christ coming upon this man, Jesus. 
Secondly, because God is holy, according to, again, his, his teachings, God didn't even create the world, but he had a lesser God that did all that dirty little piece of work of forming the earth and, and everything about it. There's so much wrong with the beliefs that he has here that separates the love and the care that God has for us as his creation, why God formed us, why God placed us, and what God's plans and purposes are. It does away with God's personal intervention within our lives and the fact that we know that God cares for us, that he wants to be involved with our lives in a very direct and a very personal way. Now, these three areas that were making headway into the church, even in the first century, and John, now as he writes these, he's an older apostle, he's pastored, and some believe that he was probably pastoring in the city of Ephesus at the time that he's writing this, and actually 1 John very possibly being written as a teaching or as a, as a message, a sermon to the church there in Ephesus. Well, John feels this overwhelming love, his concern for the church, and he felt that he needed to address these issues, and he does it very directly in 1 John. So as we go into the study, you're going to see his arguments against these forms of heresies, and we'll talk about it as we get into there. Now, as far as the content of the first letter, John knew that the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of the truth was absolutely paramount for the Christian's growth. The knowledge doesn't save us, but after we're saved, we need to come to a knowledge of the truth. We need to grow in the knowledge of the truth. He fully, he understood, we're not saved by knowledge, but we mature as believers. We need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, John uses that word, ginosko, again, to know or to grow in knowledge over 25 times within that first book of 1 John. Now, in addition, he also uses another word, oida. Now, oida is very similar to gnosko. It means also to know or to be aware of, to have knowledge of, to perceive or to understand. He uses that word in addition another 15 times. John is not against knowledge. This is not a book that says, hey, you don't need to know anything, just this bare minimum. No, we need to grow in knowledge and understanding. But he wants us to have the right knowledge and the knowledge of the truth. And he writes to encourage believers to remain faithful to the truth that we know. To know the truth and yet not walk in it, how foolish is that? What does the word say? To know the right thing to do and not to do it is what, church? Sin. So again, yes, grow in knowledge, but as you grow in knowledge, you mature in knowledge to walk in that knowledge. Now, just another little sidelight here. The difference between Gnosko and Oida is very interesting. According to Vine's Expository Dictionary, uh, Gnosko frequently suggests the inception or growing the progress of knowledge, okay? While Oida itself suggests the fullness of knowledge. So Gnosko is growing in knowledge. Oida is the absolute, the containment, the fullness of it. I'll give you a couple of examples. John 13, seven. Jesus is saying, what I am doing, you do not understand now. 
In other words, Peter didn't yet perceive oida. He did not understand. He didn't come to the fullness yet at that point. But then Jesus goes on. He says, but you will know, he uses the word ginosko, you will get to know, you will grow in knowledge later. You're not there yet. You do not know now, but you will know at a later point. In John 14, seven, he uses both of the words in the same way again. Jesus saying, if you had known me, grown in knowledge of me, he uses the word ginosko, if you've grown in that knowledge, then you would have known, and he uses the word oida, then you would have, again, come to a full knowledge of the Father. If we grow in the knowledge of Jesus, guess what? We are coming to know God in a complete way. As we grow in Christ, we come to know God in a complete way. It's not just a perception, not just a perceived notion, but we have an understanding. It's that revealed knowledge. Now we're gonna find that John uses both of these words in significant ways as we get into his letter. And there are things that we as believers, we absolutely, we need to grow in knowledge. While there are other things that as believers, guess what, the Holy Spirit just imparts to us. As believers, we, it just comes to a knowledge that the Lord gives us. Some areas are the responsibility of the individual as we learn and in our growing process, while there's other areas that the Holy Spirit working in our lives supernaturally gives us that, that fullness of understanding that's actually beyond our experience. Now, the problem comes is when you and I say, Lord, if you want me to know who you are, just reveal it totally. And I believe the Lord comes back to us and says, I have revealed it to you. The problem is you need to read it. You need to study it. I mean, how many of us as students, you know, wouldn't love to go in on test day and say, Lord, give me the knowledge that I need. Amen? And we've not cracked a book the entire semester. Prayed that pray many times. I want to tell you, it doesn't work. It does not work. There is a responsibility that we have. Yes, the Holy Spirit will enlighten us in many ways but we have a responsibility to grow in our own lives. So what are the things that John wants the church to know or to understand? What are the things that we are gonna see here? Well, one of the clues that he gives us is the reasons that he himself states of why he's writing this letter. And he gives us four very direct reasons. If you've got your Bible, you, hopefully you are at 1 John right now. Let's look at a couple of the reasons that John himself says he has written this letter to the church. And I say written to you because again, this is a word, yes, to the first century church, but it's also a word to the 21st century church. It's a word perhaps to the church of Ephesus, but it's also a word to the church of Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande or anyone who might be listening to this message even by radio. The first reason that he says that he wrote this is found down in Chapter one, verse four. Look at there. He says, these things we write to you, for what reason? That your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. For you and I, for every believer, when we are walking in the truth and in the knowledge that comes from God, when we are experiencing him daily in our lives, that's when our joy becomes full. And that's even when the enemy comes in attacking us. 
when there's battles around us, if we are walking in the truth, if we're walking in the knowledge of God, if I am desiring to experience him on a daily, moment-by-moment basis, even with the attack of the enemy, our joy can still be full. Understand, the first century church was going through a lot of stuff. But you know what? If we are troubled by every wind of doctrine, if we're pulled around by every new wave of belief that comes up, there's no peace in our life. We're always continually struggling to find the next new thing. We're so glad we could be with you today as we opened God's Word and dove deeply into its goodness and truth. If you missed any part of today's message in John's epistles, we encourage you to catch up on our website, theopenword.com. There you'll be able to browse our library of audio as well as learn more about the ministry of The Open Word. We'd love to hear from you too and find out how God's working in your life. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. When you call, be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you. That number again is 520-836-9676. Is social media part of your routine? Come like our Facebook page and keep up to date with all that's happening at The Open Word and Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find a link at our website, theopenword.com. As our time comes to a close today, Pastor David has a quick word of encouragement to share with you. Oh yeah, thanks Chris. Any time you spend in God's Word is valuable, and I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. By diving deeper into scripture and letting it saturate your heart and mind, you'll be ready to take on your day as well as be prepared when the enemy attacks. If you're not sure where to start, you can begin by reading today's passage again, or simply begin with the Gospel of Mark, a short and simple reading. If your heart is open to the Holy Spirit's direction, you can't go wrong. Hey, thanks for tuning in today, and I hope you'll join me again next time on the open word.